Welcome to Your Story Matters, the show where we share inspiring stories from all around the world. After you've listened to this one, why don't you tell us yours? Share your story at yourstorymatters.net. But first, here's your host, speaker and writer, Angela Schaefers. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing and talking with Dr. Gail Hall. She is a coach and author of her new book, Sucker Punched, How to Rise to the Top After Being Punched Down. Gail will be sharing about her story and some things that she's learned along the way to share with our listeners tips to overcome some of the challenges in your life. Welcome to the show, Gail. Hi, I'm so happy to be here with you, Angela. I am excited, too, that we've been connected, that I've learned about some of the things that you're doing, and I'm just really very happy when other people are able to take their story and things that they've gone through and turn it around into something that's valuable and things that others could learn from to improve the quality of their own lives. But before we talk about the book, let's talk about you. Tell our listeners, if you will, some of your background and history that evolved into doing the things that you're doing, coaching and things like that. I am actually, officially, uh, I have my PhD, my doctorate in psychology. I love, I love helping people. And so I did things backwards. I never went to college until I was 38 years old. Mm-hmm. So when people hear that, they're like, you're kidding. But no, I'm not kidding. I, in my early 20s, raised, raised a family. I was married, raised children. I got divorced uh, when I was 35 because my husband had cheated on me and so then got remarried again right away, had another child, and so kind of did things the non-traditional way. I've had a lot of ups and downs. I share it all. I have learned to share everything. Mm-hmm. I have a mentor that says, make your mess your mess message. And even before learning that, I already had been making my mess my message. I just didn't know that it was so easy to say it that way. I love helping people. I was a professor of psychology, you know, at the college level and loved doing that, but constantly, constantly was being tugged to do bigger and bolder things. Mm-hmm. And before I did all that, I was in business for 20 years and was chasing the dollar, made a very good living. I called on national accounts and was gone a lot, got to travel a lot with that, but I was still unfulfilled and did a lot of volunteer work, which did fulfill me. Mm -hmm. I gave 5,000 hours to hospice and domestic violence, and I was also helping with CASA and United Way and BACA and the isolated elderly and the homeless population. So those things fulfilled me. Of course, they don't pay anything. That's why they call it volunteer work. Right, right, exactly. I always felt unfulfilled unless I was doing my volunteer work. And Mm -hmm. so I just got tired of chasing the dollar and running. And so that's when I decided to um, go to school, get my Ph.D., and start teaching. And yet still, I loved helping, but I knew I wasn't helping enough just being in the classroom Mm -hmm. and that's when I decided to become a lifestyle coach and help on a bigger, broader scale and start having speaking engagements and radio interviews and telesummits and just really getting out there more. And I have never been so happy as I am right now. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Let's go back a little bit further. Would you say that your upbringing and things in your childhood attributed to some of your desire to help others 
to do volunteer work and then to go even further to get your degree and then coach others? Definitely. Um, I was raised in a very Christian, stern, if you will, household. That's that's not a very nice sounding word. I wouldn't say stern, but it was definitely, you know, I came from a, a family of six. I have three siblings. And my mother and father definitely raised us to do right and to be right. And mm-hmm. that's my sanctuary. I was bullied as a child. I have red hair and freckles and you know, only 2% of the population back back when I was a little kid had red hair and freckles. So in a school of 600 kids, only my older brother and I, you know, had the red hair. And so we were freaks. I was bullied as a child. And the only time I got comfort was when I was at home and at church, you know, mm-hmm. on Wednesday nights and on Sundays. And so that was my, that was my saving grace. I knew what to expect at home. And, um, you know, that was my sanctuary. Then, I guess, you know, I was even doing volunteer work when I was 15 and 16, and by the time I was, you know, 18 and married, I was doing a lot of volunteer work. Mm-hmm. It has been a part of my life forever. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, I've, ever, I've never been without doing volunteer work. Thinking mm-hmm. back, it's just always been my mainstay, I guess. Right, right. And that's a great way to take some of those feelings that are upsetting or making you feel like you're not a part of something and then turn it around to be a part of something good. Right. So it sounds like you had to start learning resilience as a child. I mean, of course, being bullied is horrible and being set apart from the crowd and the group, so to speak, is really a lonely feeling. Can you talk to the audience a little bit about how that may have helped you along the journey of going through your marriage and the divorce? Because, you know, as we talk here on Your Story Matters, we always want people to understand that we all go through something. And so the idea is to share the things that we learned in going through our pain and our process so that other people can know that there is hope. You know, it's interesting that that you even word it like that because when I was a little kid and, you know, in elementary school and middle school even, it wasn't called middle school back a zillion years ago. It was called junior high. But I was. I was bullied and tormented. I was so ugly. I mean, you know, and then, your te- then you start losing your front teeth. And then, you know, I was just so, so ugly up until I got about 15 and I could wear makeup and then I was the cute popular one. But I was so bullied and just tortured. I mean, even in dodgeball, I, I was little tiny. I'm only five feet tall and I weigh 105 pounds now, so I'm not very big. And I was like 34 pounds in the first grade. I mean, I was tiny. Mm-hmm. And I remember in dodgeball getting the ball thrown so hard at me and being just tormented. I would go in the bathroom and cry. Mm. So, you know, I would go home and I would tell my parents about it and doing as best as they could, they would say, well, you just, you know, just don't let people's words hurt you. Well, right. words do hurt. Yes. I don't care what anybody says, words Hurt. Words can pierce your soul. Mm-hmm. And like, I, like I had mentioned, my home was my sanctuary and church. If I didn't have that, I don't know what I would have done. But what, what God was setting me up for, seriously, was for the craft that was going to happen to me as an adult. I mm-hmm. became a victim of domestic violence when I married my second husband. And if I had not been through all I went through as a child, I would not have been able to handle what I what I had to endure for seven years mm-hmm. as, as a victim of domestic violence, and 
I never understood that or even thought about that until I started talking about it and really sharing my story with other people and helping victims of domestic violence. I've given over 5,000 hours, probably closer to 10, with volunteer work running a 24-hour crisis line, rape crisis line, and also sitting as a silent silent witness in the courtroom Mm -hmm. and being being in the hospital room and just everything with, with domestic violence. And so I think, well, in fact, I know that what I had to endure as a child made me compassionate because what happens, what ends up happening, essentially, if you're bullied, and I see this all the time with teenagers, we hear, we hear and read about it in the news, but what happens is one of two things. If you are bullied or tormented, you either become a bully yourself mm-hmm. and you react to other people as being mean or you become very compassionate and empathetic and caring. And so thankfully, I became the second of the two. And as I mentioned, even by the time I was 15 and then, you know, 18 and married, newly married as as a child still right out of high school, I was very compassionate and caring. And I'm always rallying for the underdog. And even back then I was. Mm -hmm. And that's very much needed, no matter what things have changed, which things have changed, thankfully, to bring about more awareness about domestic violence and bullying, there still need to be people like you that are really understanding and clear about what it means to go through certain things, domestic violence, bullying, divorce, trauma, whatever, and help lift up other people and help other people to understand how devastating these things truly are. Exactly. Something interesting that I did when I was a professor, I was a professor for four years and I took a sabbatical at the end of 2010 to start my life coaching business. I mean, I'd studied human behavior forever for 20 years. So I thought, you know, I need to listen to what God is telling me to do and, you know, turn this into my business. But something I did interesting in my classrooms, there were service learning programs also that I initiated, was I took the gang members and I took the underserved population, some of those people, and we held race discussion panels. We held discussion panels about sex. I had discussion panels. And even my department chair would come and sit in and listen. And she was like, you need to teach other teachers how to do this. Right, People right. Into your class. But I would make the underserved, I would choose them and select them to sit in as the experts. And I let the upper class, what I would call the upper class or the socioeconomic people that were in a definite different class, if you will, because of money and income, they ended up being the students in the class. Mm-hmm. And their privilege became the teachers of the class. And mm-hmm. my students learned from the other students what it was like to be mm-hmm. bullied, be in a gang, to have to worry about every time they left the house whether or not they were going to be shot. And it was it was the most phenomenal learning. I mean, I learned. I was a, I was a learner. I was a student in my own class. Right. We learned so much from doing it that way. And, I mean, it, it was awesome because other instructors came in and watched how I held these discussion panels. And the way it worked was because I put them in a safe environment. They knew they were safe to talk in my class, and they knew that they could not be attacked personally. I mean, we could talk about the subjects and the issues, but mm-hmm. nobody was allowed to attack anybody else. And once that nonsense started, you know, if a name-calling started or, I mean, I did let them use profanity because that's the way they talked. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was their everyday language. But if they started attacking each other or anything, they were out of there. They were thrown out on their butt. So Mm -hmm. they knew that they had to just, like, treat each other with respect. 
And it was the most amazing thing. And, you know, I still have students from six years ago write to me and tell me how big of a difference I made in their life. And mm-hmm. So it's all about respect and learning and teaching. And That's an incredible experience that you gave to them and, and taught others. And, and the, that's the key, I believe, is that when we learn to empathize with other people, when we start to understand what it is their life is about, what their story is, it really shifts our perspective and we lose a lot of judgment. Sometimes we can lose fear and sometimes we can actually go even further and truly connect with other people who are nothing like us. Exactly. We actually went and did, well, all of my classes, I, I, we did volunteer work with the isolated elderly and not volunteer work, but service learning work with the isolated elderly and also with the homeless population. And I mean work with them and then they had to interview them. They had to find somebody that would allow them to, to talk with them. And not everybody is willing to talk, but the people who did, the students who did share their stories and then got up and told it to the class. I mean, they cried. They remained in touch with some of these people, you know, until they left the homeless shelters. It changed them. Mm-hmm. They told how it had changed their lives forever. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was just awesome to to witness and watch the transformation take place in some of these students who had never been around this population before. It was it was a wonderful experience. Now, I know that looking over your material, two big things that you try and teach others and that you've obviously learned yourself and all that you've been through is overcoming fear and anxiety. Can you talk to the listeners a little bit about that, what that means to you, how to overcome fear and anxiety, and if you have a couple tips to share with our listeners, because as you know, so many people are going through so many things right now today, and we hope that they will be able to listen to the show and get some sort of tips, ideas, suggestions, and definitely some hope to turn their own life around. You know, fear cripples so many people. And, I mean, I coach my clients about this all the time. And what is amazing, Angela, is that so many people don't even know that it is fear that is holding them back from living their life that they deserve to live. And so what happens with me in a coaching situation with my clients is, you know, I ask a lot of questions and then I let them talk. And sometimes they start rambling and rambling but, you know, I get them back on track. And the first thing of all is to help a client understand what the fear is and to get them to name it, to, to actually hear them say, I'm afraid of. Mm-hmm. And of course, it takes, you know, a trained person to really get them to dig deep and to actually, you know, it may take several sessions to get them to figure out what the fear is or for me to figure out what the fear is based on what they're saying. And once they name it, then we can work on getting past it. And sometimes it's really easy. It's like, oh, that's what you were afraid of, so that's why you did this. Mm-hmm. And so once we name it, then we can get to a place where we can overcome it. Some things are simple to overcome, some fears. Some anxieties are super easy to overcome, but then there are other things that aren't easy, like post-traumatic stress disorder, or if you have somebody who's GAD like me, generalized anxiety disorder, and I also have post-traumatic stress disorder, and I also am OCD, so Mm -hmm. I'm all things, but 
yet I'm very normal. I mean, what's normal? Right, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> what That's is a whole de- other show. <laughs> you know, what is the definition of normal? But you can be, you know, a very normal person and have these issues and, and still have a very normal life. I do, and so can my clients, so can your clients, so can every single person who's listening. Mm-hmm. So the way to get over a fear is simply to acknowledge it mm-hmm. and to talk about it with somebody that you trust. You have to get it out there. And so I make my, and I do, I force my, my clients to keep a gratitude journal and I have them write down five things a day at the same time every day of what they're grateful for. And a lot of times they'll say, well, Dr. Hall, I don't, there's nothing I'm, I'm grateful about. My life sucks. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not true. You're sitting here. You drove yourself here, didn't you? Aren't you grateful? Aren't you happy that you can drive? Right. Happy that you have your eyesight. Aren't mm-hmm. you happy that you have enough money that you can put gas in your car? Those are three things right there. Right. So, you know, I get them to shift their focus. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they think they have this miserable life. I get them to shift their focus and realize that they have a lot to be grateful for and a lot to be happy about. That's right. And so when they realize that they're not the most miserable person that they think they are, a miserable person they've ever known, they shift their energy from being negative Nelly to a very positive person. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about the mindset. And Mm -hmm. it takes work, but I can get them there. And that's kind of how we get past the fear. And my mission my goal and what God has called me to do is to help people find their happy place. And a lot of people have never been happy. They'll tell you they've never been happy. And some, sometimes that is true. Some people have never been happy but because of depression or whatever. And a lot of people need medication and they're afraid of that. I'm not a medical doctor at all. I have my PhD, my doctorate in psychology. Mm-hmm. So I, I am not a medical doctor. So a lot of times I will tell clients that I'd like them to seek the help of a medical physician who could prescribe an antidepressant or who can, descri- who can prescribe an anti-anxiety medication because I feel like that's what they need to help them just get over the edge a little bit. But a lot of times it's simply just a shift in the focus of how they're viewing their world. Right. And once they name it and we start talking about it through, through coaching sessions, I can get them to realize that they really have a very nice life and the way they view their world is going to change how they react to other people, how they feel about themselves in the morning, and their, their worldview just totally changes. Right. And I think that's important for people to understand is that once you start changing your perspective and your worldview, as you put it, then it's a lot clearer and easier, if you will, to start making changes about those things in your life that aren't working, that aren't healthy, that aren't good for you. I'm sure that you probably had to do some of that work in order to get out of the situation you were in living in domestic violence. Oh, my gosh. You know, I mean, I had a seven-year plan. It took me seven years Mm -hmm. to get out of But I was very isolated. I lived in North Dakota. I was very isolated. I had, you know, a very young child. I knew within four days of marrying my second husband Mm -hmm. that I'd made a bad mistake. tried to kill me, and it was threatening me. And, you know, I tried to get the marriage annulled and found out that wasn't going to happen. And so too long of a story to tell. That's a different story. But, yes, it took me a long time. And... You know, I had a I had an escape plan. Uh, I had money hidden. I still I still do things that are 
crazy that people people would think we're nuts, but I can't drive a car unless it has at least half a tank of gas that I can get out of town. If I have to, I always back into my garage. I have to be able to have a fast getaway. I can't sit my back facing the door of a restaurant. I mean, all these things are very obsessive, compulsive, and whatever, but part of it is because of the lifestyle that I had and right. the way that lived for seven years. Mm -hmm. But you learn to deal with that and to go on with life. And I think that's key, especially for listeners out there who might be going through something that's very challenging for them, that they feel that there's no hope. If you have a plan, if you work on things every day, if you seek out others, you can get through this and change can and will happen at some point. So it's really a matter of giving everyone hope to know that things can always get better. It is. It is important. I'm glad you worded it like that because what I'm saying may sound crazy to people that have never been in my situation or right. that situation. But if you have, like, for instance, anxieties of being, there are people that have anxieties and phobias of being in large crowds, mm -hmm. and that bothers them, you know. And so what I say to them is, is, you know, then avoid those large crowds and think about why it is that it bothers you to be in those large crowds. I mean, you can't just take somebody and put them in a large crowd if, if that's something that freaks them out. I mean, they have to work on that or avoid large crowds. Howie Mandel, everybody knows him. I mean, he's a famous, you know, star mm -hmm. who hosts America's Got Talent or something. He has a real phobia about shaking hands. You will never see him shake somebody's hand and touching people. He has this real big phobia. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows that about him, but you will never see him touch hands. Or He's a real germ freak. And so, I mean, everybody has their thing. It's just that a lot of people won't admit it or won't announce it. Right. And so, and yet, you know, how he's normal. I mean, I'm I'm normal. I just have these little quirks. And so, everybody has their way of of dealing with whatever it is that is their thing. And if they don't admit it, then how do you deal with it? I mean, the That's first right. step saying is holding up your hand. One of my mottos and one of my sayings is. Even the very strongest person will know when to hold up their hand and say, I could use some help with this. I'd really like you to work with me on this because I'm ready. Yes. And once once they do that, Angela, everything changes. That's and it's right. A wonderful thing. Yes, that's right. And thank you for sharing that because that's a great first step for anyone who needs to get on the path of healing and, and to go further in their journey. Let's talk about how you came about the having the desire to write the book. Where were you at that point? And then if you could share about the book, that'd be wonderful. I just decided to write Sucker Punched, How to Rise to the Top After Being Punched Down because I had so many stories to tell. I had co-authored two other books that hit the top charts and sent me into best-selling international author status. And I knew all along that I was going to tell my story of domestic violence, but I decided I didn't want that to be my first book. I wanted to tell a book that would motivate and inspire several different areas, and I also wanted to create a book that would be an anthology series. That's how I came up with Sucker Punch. And it just, once I sat down and wrote the titles, the chapter titles for the book, it just started flowing. Mm -hmm. It started flowing so fast that I mean, just lightning speed. It was amazing. Just so easy to write. Mm -hmm. um, I did have I did have a torn rotator cuff in there and a surgery that 
Oh, wow. Set me back a few, a few months, uh, but I got right back on track. But the way it came about was I just felt like I needed to share. And so every single chapter deals with a different subject, mm-hmm. and each one of those subjects will be, hence, a, a new book. So, like, the first chapter is about, it talks about abandonment, and it talks about being bullied, and, it, you know, it talks about my childhood. And then the second chapter goes right into relationships and sex and love. And that's something that, you know, every single person can relate to because we've all had our heart broken at one point in time, you know, along the way. And it's from the feedback I've gotten, it's the chapter that everybody, everybody loves. It's kind of like the chapter nobody wants to talk about. But, right, um, right. But a lot of people can relate to it. And I think that was one thing that in reading over your material, everyone doesn't necessarily have to have gone through what you have. But everything you share is so powerful because you talk about normal feelings that we all go through, loss, challenges in relationships, things like that, feeling that we're not good enough. And so all of these things add up to how do we deal with those things, even if our situation is different, and how do we make our life better? Right, because I mentioned stuff about self-identity and and self-esteem issues. And Mm -hmm. self-esteem is huge. I mean, I don't care if you're 16 or 6 or 66 or 106. You still have self-esteem issues, you know, if you have not worked through those. All of those things are, are mentioned in my book. And then there's a chapter on job loss. And I got fired and twice in my life. And so I, I talk about that in, in one of my chapters. And especially for men, they are more hung up on their identity with, with their job than women are. Mm-hmm. And that's why I decided it was important to talk about job loss and, and how that affects you and your personality one chapter is about getting duped and how that, the biggest dupe of all, and it was by a family member, and it was heartbreaking for me. It, it changed my life forever. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say a whole lot because I don't want to tell about every, you know, every detail about that, but um, I wrote about that, getting duped and how that affected me. One chapter is about domestic violence, and so that won't pertain to a lot of people, but it certainly will to some people. Right. Another chapter is about... There's 10 chapters altogether, and they're just really great. What, what I teach in the book is resiliency and hope. Mm-hmm. So I, I developed also the sucker punch syndrome and coined that and I've trademarked that. And so I now be attacked by psychologists and psychiatrists all over the world. But I've studied this and really worked hard on developing this syndrome. And so a lot of people are so stuck on, if I do this, is this going to happen? They're, they get stuck in such a rut. Right. They're afraid to take the step. They're afraid to try something new for fear that the same old thing is going to happen. It's like the self-fulfilling prophecy all over again. Mm-hmm. If I do this, then this is going to happen. Or they feel like they're not good enough or not worthy. And so I teach people that we're going to just kick that crap to the curb for life and get it, get it past it and get over that. Mm-hmm. I baby steps and moving on to bigger and bolder things. So I talk about resiliency and hope. And, you know, hope is like love. It's something you can't see or touch or feel, but it's there. And as long as you have hope, things can change for the better. They can always change for the better. That's right. And resiliency is something that you develop. You can develop that. Even if you think you can't, you can develop resiliency if you have a hearty personality. And I'm not saying like hearty, 
you know, like your heart, I'm saying hardy, H-A-R-D-Y. If you have a hardy personality, you can develop resiliency to any situation. Mm-hmm. And I think that people need to, again, learn from their story and realize that they've probably overcome things already and there's yes. a lot of things they can learn from about their own character and their own self when they go back and heal and learn and just contemplate what is what have I already overcome. So I do have some strengths to get yes. through. Can you share with our listeners how could they be in touch with you if they're interested in your services and where could they get a copy of the book Sucker Punched, How to Rise to the Top After Being Punched Down. You could just go to my website, which is www.drhalloncall. And doctor is not spelled out. It's just D-R, drhalloncall.com. And then there's a free offer, too, today for the listeners. I'm offering a free 20-minute strategy session that's a $75 value for the first 20 people that write in and tell me that they're interested, possibly, in my coaching services. And that link is http colon forward slash forward slash drhalloncall.com forward slash summit forward slash. And again, that's http colon forward slash forward slash drhalloncall.com forward slash summit forward slash, and that will give um, an opt-in page for people to sign up for email and let them download a free audio MP3 recording on happiness and fear. Awesome. And anybody that listens to that is going to get some pointers and tips on how to get past fear and get to a place where they can finally be happy in their life. And I would love it if people would sign up on my email list and then download that free MP3. They will really learn a lot about themselves. That is my goal is to just help people and let people live a happy life because everybody deserves to live the life that God put them here to live. That's right. Absolutely. And thank you so much for all that you're doing. Thank you for being on the show today and sharing a part of your story and letting others know what you're doing and especially about your book. I do want to close with a quote that I found on your website by you. It says, when I let go of what I am, I become what I might be. Knowing myself is the beginning of wisdom. Love it. Loved having you on the show today, Gail, and I wish you the best in your endeavors. Thank you so much, Angela. I appreciate you for having your show and doing what you do because you are helping thousands of people, and I'm very blessed to be in your inner circle. Thank you so much.